scripture reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rachel. All right, good to see everyone this morning. Uh, we turn our attention back to uh, the book of Colossians, the short letter uh, that Paul wrote to these new believers, uh, new converts in Christ who heard the gospel through Paul's good friend Epaphras. And they began to grow in their faithfulness to Jesus. They believed the message that they heard. It took root in their lives. It turned their lives upside down in a lot of ways in their community that they were in. Uh, but they began to try to figure out how to live this life, especially at times when they felt perhaps out of place with the new the philosophies and, and uh, regulations that the world was beginning to place upon them, was saying, hey, Jesus plus these things is how to live. And so he writes, calling their hearts back to the ruler of all, back to their true king, back to the one who secured salvation for them, who is Christ. So we want to turn our attention to him now in prayer. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be under your word, uh, under your leadership, and God, by, by your Holy Spirit, empowered to hear and to receive what you have for us in this moment, God, in our service. So we ask God, come and change our hearts, make us more like you, uh, renew us in ways that we have least expected but ways that you surprise us with your joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, this weekend, I had an opportunity to watch a movie with my kids, and they were very familiar with this story because they've listened to it a number of times and also read the book uh, with, with Crystal. And so it was nothing new about the story, but they looked at this, this story with with, uh, and paid attention to it, and it was almost as if they saw it for the very first time. Charlotte's Web. Beautiful story about life and life on a farm, and then the saving of life. And I was struck because, you know, I knew of this story, and it's been a while since I've seen it. There was this, this, uh, this birth, this sow, this, this hog that had given birth to these little piglets. And there was not enough room for all of them. So there were about 11, I mean, 10 spaces, but 11 pigs. So one of them had to go. And the farmer was about to put the little uh, piglet away, the, the runt of the batch. 
And then a little girl spoke up and said, what are you doing? No, don't kill him. I will take care of him. And then the movie progressed and just speaks of life in so many different ways. The saving the Wilbur, the pig. But as we looked at the farm animals, you begin to see the diversity of life. There is there are sheep there. There was a horse there. Uh, there were uh, geese. Uh, there was this spider, Charlotte, and all kinds of things. The greenery. It, it just paints this beautiful picture of life in the world. And then there was a rat as well, <laughs> beaming with life in the, all the glorious ways that rats are made. Uh, by God to go and scurry around in D.C. and eat up your stuff that you don't need. Uh, but life, 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 life is what this passage is all about. How do we as people live in this world and have life in this world with so many challenges that we are faced with? Perhaps some of the challenges of your own thought life, maybe some of the challenges are that someone is pursuing you and after you, Maybe some of the challenges in life or indeed sickness that we face uh, together as a community. But see, what we learn from Scripture is that life, life prevails because God is a God of the living, not of the dead. And God has promised his great redemption throughout Scripture that he is undoing all the bad things that have happened to humanity. That God is in many ways giving us a new humanity, new outlook on life. And God does this through Jesus Christ. He does this through his own son. Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners. He was sent into this world to give life to his people. Jesus was sent into this world to die. But Jesus was resurrected. That's what we see here. Christ is the resurrection and the life. The implication is clear from verses 1 and 3. You have been raised with Christ, Paul tells the Colossian believers, which means they died to the things of the world. The life is now hidden with Christ in God. In Christ, they are totally new beings. All things are new with Christ, but how shall they, shall they live? Paul has already instructed them earlier in the letter, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him. The things that you've learned, walk in these things. Trust the Spirit to lead you, to be rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith, just as you were taught. The things that you were taught abound in these things and in thanksgiving. And he also encourages them, too, that they would, Make sure that no one takes them captive by the philosophies of the world, by the empty deceit of the world, by the human traditions of the world, by the elemental spirits of the world, because these things are not life according to Christ. So we need to look at a few things here. So let's look at how do we live from the new humanity? How do we live by losing the old humanity? How do we live in union with all saints? Living from the new humanity. You know, I love this idea because it strikes to the heart of our position in Christ, our identity in him. You know, we, we don't live for Christ. We live from him. 
because our life is in union with Christ based on what he has accomplished. Dying for our sins that we are forgiven in him. So we are unified to him, receiving a new identity, becoming new people. And so we have this new humanity that we live from. Our position is set. And sometimes it doesn't feel that our position is set in Christ, right? When we begin to have doubts about what we are doing in life and where we should go, which jobs we should have, which friends we should have. It doesn't feel like it at times when worry creeps in and we're distracted by worry and by the own frailty of our humanity. But Paul is calling them back to live from this new humanity, their position in Christ. How do we do this? Pursue Christ. He tells them, pursue Christ to seek, to seek him with all their heart, mind to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And you see, this, this type of seeking Christ is what he has in mind, that we are to be so devoted to him in a serious manner that everything pales into, in comparison, that we are to be consumed in our desire for Christ. You know that it's like being consumed you know, with this idea of this person that you start to like. You know, you fall, you're fond of them. You favor them. You want to be with them. You're crazy about them. You're head over heels with them. We realize that this is how we are to be towards Christ because this is how Christ is towards us. Christ, the scripture says, ascended to the highest heavens. There, Christ, the disciples saw him ascending beyond the clouds. And the angels declared that the, G, that the same way you saw Jesus go up, he will come back. And scriptures also declare that he's seated at the right hand of God. And we learn from even Psalm 110, where this is an allusion from, where King David writes about his Lord. So he's, he sit at my, he says to the Lord that, says of his Lord that he sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Being at the right hand of God means that Christ has all power, all authority, all prestige. He, he has everything. We've even learned from this letter. He's the ruler of all. God has bestowed this, this privilege, this right to Christ, his own son. So Christ is without rivalry in our lives. He is to be above all in our lives. Therefore, our focus is to be on this practical pursuit of the heavenly reality. And Christ taught this when he was here on earth. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And everything else, food, drink, where you would stay, what you would, everything else will be added to you as well. Because the everything else is the things that we tend to worry about, right? You know, what we're going to eat, where, you know, where we're going to live, what, what clothes we're going to put on. He's saying, seek first. If we seek first his kingdom, it means we're seeking Christ's very self, him, and who he is. And the, the, the beauty is that God gives us his Holy Spirit that is poured out from the Father and from the Son. And this is the spirit by which we say, Father, Abba, Father. We know him. By the spirit that he has given us. 
And so the spirit within us shows us the word of God and proclaim that this is the true spiritual word of God, that Christ has lived on our behalf. It's impossible for us to keep the law, but Christ has kept it at every point. And so as we walk in obedience to the things of God's word, we're walking with Christ every step of the way by the power of his spirit. Because the Colossians have come into union with Christ's resurrection, they have the resurrection power of God within him, within them to obey his commands, and we do too. So they are to pursue Christ, and then they are to set their minds with Christ as well, to be preoccupied in their minds for the things that are above, not the things on earth. Christ says we have to be in the world, but not of it. For we have died to the things of the world. Your life is hidden now with Christ in God. So Paul is instructing them to give careful consideration to the truth of Christ. Having their minds reshaped to think Christ's thoughts after him. Having their minds just crowded out with the word of God, with the pleasures of God with the promises of God, the one who will never leave us nor forsake us, the one who will never allow anything or anyone to snatch us out of his hands, the one who has declared that I, I, I love you to the uttermost. I love you, Christ declares to you and to me. Nothing could change that, nothing at all. So preoccupy your minds with these truths, you're hidden in Christ. And yes, the things that you are to be in totality of your being in Christ is not revealed to us yet. But one day it will be plain for all to see. It says when Christ appears, it will be plain that we are with Christ in God. All the doubts are gone away. Full assurance in his presence. You will also appear with him in glory. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed to be like Christ fully. New bodies, eternal perspective that will never go away. Total confidence in him. And so we can renew our minds, preoccupy our minds right now with the things of Christ. And you know, there are sometimes when thoughts get in our head, it's hard for us to get those thoughts out of our heads. The anxiety of life may have us thinking about something over and over again. It puts us on a, a, a wheel of just worry, worry, worry all the time. And this is a grasping of our responsibility of how to live in the world, or how to be a good neighbor, or how to take responsibility. But it leads to this constant worry in our minds, and we can't stop thinking about the things that we think we need and the things that we, places we think we should go. It's like the holiday season, right? Who are we going to eat with? Who are we going to sit with? Where are we going to go? Uh, people are already experiencing trouble in conversation. Uh, parents are upset that their adult children won't come home because they want to stay away. Or it, the list goes on and on. The things that preoccupy our minds that are constantly there. But here we see that we are to choose the best thing, and that's Christ. Have we considered praying, Christ, what do you want? 
It seems like it can be so far from our minds to pray such a simple prayer, but when there is some worry, maybe it's time to pray the simple prayers and to rest in him and to have that peace that he promises so that we know that, yes, I'm seated with him, never to be moved. I'm living out of this new humanity with him. My heart is being prepared for Christ's return. I long, I long to, to see him. Because when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let our pursuit be Christ, his word, coming before him in prayer. Praying with one another about the things that are ailing our hearts. Seeking the will of the Father. We can know his will, you know. The Spirit will not leave us astray, lead us astray. He, Christ has not left us as orphans. We have a Father that we can go to, that we can know, that we can pursue, who wants to fill our, our minds with the assurance of his presence in our lives, lives and his security that he has given us in Christ. This is the resurrection power that we have. This is how we can live in light of the new humanity. Christ, our representative, Christ has experienced real and actual death. And we have, too, with Christ. Christ experienced the pleasures of God, the joy forevermore. And we do, too. This is our new reality. So we live with this, with Christ in the new humanity. But we also, as we live from this new humanity, it means that we also live by losing the old humanity. We're dead to the old man. And so we need to continue to lose parts of this old man. How do we do that? We must mortify these earthly members. And this is like an old word, mortify, you know. But it means what it says here uh, in the text. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death the members, that earthly members that are within you. This is the seriousness that we need to have towards Losing the things that are already lost. Losing the things that are already dead. Not taking up the dead things again and putting them to ourselves, but continually losing them. Puritan John Owen has written extensively about this mortification. He says of this verse, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off from its work. Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you. So there are some sins in our lives that continue to creep up on us. It's like, whoa, I haven't seen you in years. Why now? Where, where, where are you trying to lead me? Which avenue are you trying to lead me down? Whoa, you're, you're saying that, you know, unless I do this thing for you, that I, I don't have, tr- I'm not real? I'm not, I don't have true identity? I, I'm going to be cast out. It says all sorts of things 
But see, what we need to know is like, yes, we need to make it our habit to be put into death the sin that is in our lives. This is like the Father. Because we learn from John 15 that he prunes every branch in him that does not bear fruit. He, t- he takes away things that we don't need. So he, he invited us to do the same, to let go of the things that we do not need. Even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, mortifying, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so we had to put these things to death. Well, what are these things? Paul gives us a list here of five things. You know, they start from the specific things, then they go to the, the more general things. And so the first in this list, he says, sexual immorality. And this simply is sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Paul is saying, hey, you must put this to death. Whatever form that it may take in your life, you are to put this to death. And impurity is the contamination of one's character. Passion, what is that? Lust. It's the, it's, it's the, the, the big passions that we have for something. Evil desire, this type of desire that proceeds lust. Covetousness is greed in our lives. It is this type of hunger for physical pleasure. It's the breeding ground for more and more and more evil desires, which it which turns out to be nothing but idol worship at the end of it. The core of it is replacing God, putting one's attention on that which is not God, which is not Christ. And so we need to do business with these parts of our lives because they continually come up. We're bombarded with sexual images in our day, even in our own minds and our own stories. We're tempted beyond measure at times in these parts of our bodies. And so we are to do business with this by cutting them off, to be addicted in the way of sexual immorality in all its forms. It's a great entanglement. It leads to great confusion. Even Paul says, anyone who sins sexually sins against himself. What it is, it is a self-killing. There's no good can come out of it. It always ends in the same thing over and over again. It ends in death. When we fantasize about something that's outside of what Christ has intended for us within the bounds of marriage. At least he was thinking about it over and over again and planning and plotting how we can have this type of pleasure in our lives. It leads to action. We act it out in our bodies because our bodies were meant for pleasure within the context of marriage, not in the context of me by myself, or me with someone else, or me in my mind. It's like, no, it leads to the end to shame and despair, deep shame, deep despair. And so what do we tell ourselves at the end? I might as well give in. 
I might as well go back in that, in that wheel and go through the cycle again. And then the messages of shame set in, no one loves me but me. I have to take care of myself because it leads to insecurity, deep-seated insecurity. And then the idol becomes an idol factory. It's, it's, on this, it's moving fast in our lives. We try to fight it with the earthly ways, and it comes back. Try to fight it again, it, it's an entanglement. And so this idea of mortifying, you know, your earthly members, like you can cut it straight off, right? But it's more complex than that. It has to be something that's more intricate, something that is more intense. It has to be something that happens over time in the power of Christ, in the community of Christ. It has to see the light of air. It cannot be taken care of just you by yourself. It would crush you if it was just you by yourself. It has to be dealt with in an extreme manner. You know, I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this, you know what came up in my mind? This uh, story about this, this mountain climber, uh, Aaron Rawson. I don't know if you guys remember the story, but he decided to go off by himself, and he went off uh, hiking by himself, and he knew that was a no-no. And then he came upon this 800-pound rock that he stepped over, and it came down. He was trying to protect his head, and his hand got lodged in it between a, a rock and a hard place, literally. And there he was after five days, two burritos were gone. The five liters of water were gone. The sun beating down on him. What was he going to do? There, there he was. Part of his arm was stuck, lodged in it. And so he had to do the thing that he had to do to keep him alive. What he did first, he broke his arm. Can you imagine? Looking at your arm, it's in pain, yes, and then more pain? To break those two bones. And then from there, he had to take out his pocket knife. Small little knife. Not a butcher's knife, but a small little knife. And he had to cut through skin and ligaments and tendon. He had to do this in a very intricate way. There's nothing that could take care of it in one swoop. That's how it is in our lives when we come to this place of getting rid of, putting off sin in our lives. We deal with it in the depths of it because that's what Christ wants to go in our lives the most. He he wants to go to the deep and intricate places and to shed the light of the gospel. We may think it's just easy, you know, just just take, no, there is wrapped up in stories. It's wrapped up in vows. It is wrapped up in our own selfishness, because sometimes we like it. We like it, and it's been a friend to us, we think. And we tell ourselves, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And sometimes we believe that I cannot live without it. And so I'm in in between a rock and a hard place. Christ has said he's died for me. He's given me new life, 
But this pleasure feels like it's giving life. It feels good. It feels powerful. But it leads to death. James says, let no one say when he is tempting me, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death every single time. And friends, this is the sin that Christ has already taken care of. We're free from it. We're free to live in him. He gives us the power to say no and to deal with it. And sometimes dealing with it takes years. And sometimes dealing with it means consequences of that sin. Sometimes dealing with it means I cannot go back in those places. Sometimes dealing with it means I have to have a brother or sister with me at all times because I need that type of accountability. Men and women have said that in their lives. I cannot go to a hotel room. Just the click of the key at the door reminds me of the old sinful life. Just waiting to have you. But God has provided himself to be with us and to lead us into his pleasures, into his freedom, so that we are not alone in this. We also are to mortify our earthly, earthly mindsets. Verse uh, 8 here, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. What is this anger? Well, this is the, the seed and hatred of the heart. It's murder. Wrath is just rage, and it ends up being angry words and deeds. This malice is the, the evil intent that, that causes hurt of another person. Slander, which is just this, this speech that puts malice into practical effect. And this obscene talk, this is just the filthy language, abusive intent. It, it, it really contaminates both our ears and those that hear it. And so what, what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that, hey, you, you can't live in these mindsets. The anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. You have to put these things all away because these things do not build up. They tear down communities. They don't build up your character in Christ. They tear down your character in Christ. And so Paul, Paul puts this here because he knows that this is a struggle we live in a broken world when we do get upset sometimes. When we do <laughs> become frustrated and we want to protect ourselves, we want to defend ourselves at times. And then when someone comes against us, we want to say things about the people around us that will cut them down. It's like, oh, you think you're going to get me? For no, I'm, I'm going to get you. No. Okay, let's go toe to toe. All right, let's have it out. But it leads to this place in the heart where we don't hold others in the highest esteem within the Christian community. Because remember, this is not the way of Christ. This is not the way of his people. He's, he died so that 
we would have the power to put these things away from our lives. You know, where, where do these things show up? What, you know, one practical example, if you drive or if you've seen people that drive, road rage, anybody have it? You know, I was in the car with a friend one day, and they were taking me to the airport, and I was just sitting there. I'm like, okay, are we going to make it in time for this flight or not? I, I don't know, but I'm just going to sit here and relax. I did good. And so uh, my friend was like driving, and my, my, my friend saw that somebody wouldn't let them in the lane. They were, and then here, here am I in the passenger seat, and my friend comes across me to, and says to the person in that car over there, really, really, and gave their face, their emotions, and everything. And I, I didn't know what was about to happen here. You know, it can become dangerous, right, out there on the road. But see, that's the thing about it, right? We're in the broken world. Things happen to people. People cut us off. We don't know the reason for it, but we're upset. We think they know better. They haven't seen us. They, they probably don't. You know, it happens on the bus all the time. Someone steps on someone's shoe. That person is upset and then ends up being physical with the other person. You know, and we have a problem with this. But see, Paul is teaching us here that we should... Put it all away. Put it all away. Because these things do not have in mind what God has in mind for his people. And we must not lie to one another. Verse 9. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed and the knowledge after the image of the creator. So this right here it's encouraging us to speak truthfully to one another, honestly to one another. And we have to learn how to do this together. It's not easy because if we're used to hiding parts of ourselves, we will continue to hide those parts. But lying just helps us out. It helps us to keep going. It helps us not to face one another in the deepest way. Maybe you think that, hey, I... This person wants something from me. Well, I'll tell them a little white lie, and we'll keep moving on. He said, do not lie to one another. That is semblance of the old self. You're new now in Christ. Put on the new self who's filled with the truth about their brokenness, their sin, their limitations. This is the renewal party that he's talking about. Being, in, being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, being like Christ, living in the freedom of Christ. We are regenerated, born again to a new and abiding hope, which is Christ himself. Renewed in Christ, continuing the process of being sanctified, made holy like him and set apart. We don't have to lie to one another. We can face each other honestly. We can be whole before one another because that is what we are before God, whole, in Christ, with him. That is what we are, having the knowledge of God coming forth from his word. We don't see all that we are to be, but we know that we are like him in every way. This is the power of the spirit that is within us. And so we may feel like, Look, if I live like this, the way that Christ has called me to live, 
being honest with my neighbor, with one another, you know, like learning how to put aside the anger and putting forth forgiveness and learning how to let go of the earthly pleasures outside of God's uh, design will for us, we may feel like we're the outcast if we do this as Christians. Perhaps this is how the Colossians felt, that I'm learning how to live in this new way because I believe in it, I see it. It's evident through the gospel. It's evident through my life. I'm changed. The Holy Spirit is here. I'm, I'm bound with him. But I feel alone. I feel as if I have been cut off as a member of Christ's family, of Christ's body. I feel like the other people's mindsets around me don't have me in mind. I'm forgotten by them. And I take offense to it. I don't know why, but I just feel this way. Maybe that's you, friends. Maybe your motivation, it is to just get on with life. Tell people what they want to hear and just keep moving. But see, that's not the way of life that Christ has given us. That's not the way of losing our old humanity. Friends, lastly, I want to just share. Live in the unity with all saints. Paul says here, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Instead of being in a racialized, polarized society, Paul is encouraging them to see that they have unity with Christ. The Greek and the Jews always at each other. Both felt like they had a, a way of living that was superior. Both thinking that their way of religion was the right way. And then that of the barbarians, those who were just in the uttermost parts of the world that people didn't know about, their language was different. The Scythians had a way of living about themselves that was diametrically opposed to that of the orderly Greek. And then that of slave and free, the status of people. Well, when you're in Christ, all that has gone away. We don't live into those things any longer. And the church has been so confused in our day with this whole idea of uh, race and racism. Sometimes, friends, we speak as if um, we speak as if the church is everywhere. Like, like the people in the world should adopt what we believe when they can't even see what we believe in. Sometimes we act as if when we're speaking about these, these matters, these polarizations, that they should believe like we believe. But it's impossible for them to believe like we believe. God has opened our eyes to these truths. So we must stand together. We must weep with one another. And when something happens to one people group over another, we do our best by checking up on our friends, but we must weep first because that person who has been marginalized is an image bearer of God. We weep because Christ is weeping. We weep because he sees the downcast, the poor, and we are to see them in that way ourselves and be the first ones to be moved with compassion and mercy 
not looking to the right or left. Who's going to do this? What, what is the government going to do? What is, no, Christ is calling us to be the forerunners with him. We are the ones that are living the new resurrection life with him. We are the ones who have the power to bring the type of change within our community that, that flows into the wider communities and bring the change that Christ is bringing in the world. But to do this, we must stand unified. Christ said, those who do the will of my father, they are my mothers. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. Christ made it clear that if you don't hate your father and mother, you can't have anything to do with me. What is he saying? There's a deeper unity in me. You cannot be unified with those who don't want to have anything to do with me. They cannot have first place because I must have it, and I do because I've died for you. I bled for you on that cross. And when I was raised from the dead, you were too with me. You are with me. And so we live with Christ in the new humanity. We live losing the old humanity. The old is gone and new has come. And we live in the unity with all saints, brother, sister, mother. We should cherish one another because we cherish Christ. When we do this, we show forth the love of Christ to the broken world because there are other sons and daughters that he's bringing in from every nation, tongue, tribe, and language. So they too will know that he is a hope, the new life, the only life that can be had in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have seen us and you have known us because you have done it all. Lord, thank you for being the forerunner of our faith, the forerunner of our lives. Christ, you feel all in all, and we are thankful. So help us to live from this place of being unified with you. In Jesus' name, amen.